Hello and welcome to episode 344 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and we are here with two other intrepid uh, chronicles of RPG anthologies to, to discuss Live Alive, the 1994 Square classic game that was uh, recently made much available to a much wider audience, uh, re- getting a full worldwide release on Switch for the first time. But before we go into the nitty-gritty of Live Alive, let's introduce the rest of the panel, starting with Wes Island. Hey, everybody. And responding to my threats to make him podcast with me about this game on our 3DS episode, Tom Cox. Hi there. Uh, Wes and Tom, Live Alive Remake came out in July, and uh, so I gave us uh, plenty of time to start playing it so we could uh, podcast about it on a later date. And I regret to inform you that I, uh, I did not reach the breakpoint I was hoping to. Um, uh, Live Alive is an anthology RPG that is seven sort of short RPG stories that eventually coalesce into a sort of connected final chapter story. And I wanted to play those first seven before recording today, but I had a busy week and some unforeseen circumstances, so I've only completed four out of the seven. But we are uh, are, are we ready to talk about the seven mini stories that comprise the first two thirds or so of live alive. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, heck yeah. All right. Excellent. So, uh, let's go into background a little bit. This is a 1994 square RPG and that's a, the same company in the same year that uh, final fantasy six came out. Um, it was, and what square did at the time was they recruited seven popular manga writers that were, uh, act, that had active series in 1993, 1994 range, and it had each of them submit a character design. And then around those character designs, uh, or maybe a couple character designs, uh, the writers and directors of Live Alive sort of crafted seven miniature stories and then a connected story, uh, uniting those seven timelines somewhat. And uh, the game's director was Takashi Tokita, who was uh, who was one of the lead writer directors on Final Fantasy IV and Chrono Trigger, uh, FF4 before Live Alive, Chrono Trigger after Live Alive, and eventually the same for Parasite Eve and a couple and uh, FF4 the After Years and a couple other games uh, with Square, and he's still with the company. And uh, maybe most notably uh, for fans of RPG music out there, this was Yoko Shimomura's first game that she made with Square. Uh, she was with Capcom for uh, several years before Square, where she worked on Street Fighter Two and the Breath of Fire games, among among several other titles. This was her first project with Square, and we know her now as the architect behind the music of a bunch of Mario RPGs and the Kingdom Hearts series, and a lot of the first Xenoblade Chronicles and many other things. So uh, this is early works of a couple, you know, uh, like legends or semi legends of the of rpgs of the 1990s so that that was intriguing to me um wes i know that you did play uh the super famicom version uh at an earlier date and but are now playing the uh uh, the the 2022 re-release uh what's your background with live alive and your over sort of your your current impressions on the new version yeah so i i picked this up when i was in high school so late 90s early 2000s um you know, when they had a fan translated version out, uh, whenever that came, <laughs> came out, and I was so excited because this was this weird anthology RPG. It, it looked really varied and different across, you know, each game really felt unique. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, so this game has been, you know, part of the conversation for me for ages. I've tried to get other people to play it. For some people, it's hit. For a lot of people, it hasn't. 
but eventually, you know, once this remake was announced, I was over the moon because I figured, okay, they're going to do a few things to to clean this up and really win over some of those people who didn't love it before. And sure enough, it it seems like it has. It's lost very little in the translation aside from some little graphical flourishes that were kind of neat at the time. But it's gained so much. It's it's improved so much over uh, its predecessor that it really does feel like the definitive version of this game. What's one change to the 2022 version that stood out to you? Because uh, I, I should mention, I did try to play this game in the early 2000s. I was in, I was in high school or maybe early college, which is and I'm, Wes, you and I are around the same age. Yeah. So I, I I I attempted to play this, didn't get very far, even though I was really trying to play all of the Square games and all of the good uh, Super Famicom 90s RPGs. But for some reason, it couldn't grab me. I think I was going through the prehistory story and couldn't figure out where to go next and uh and then fell off of it uh, and again this would have been the this is i'll make up a year it was probably 2004 or something um but uh but but find it much easier to get into now but but what's one change you've noticed that it's done for the better um the most noticeable one for me aside from the obvious you know graphics and and voice acting and music um is the fact that during battle you have these little atb style bars above your head to help you determine, okay, who's coming up next? What's the order of operations going to be here? Um, how much can I fit in of these like charging abilities? Uh, because in the SNES version, there was really nothing to indicate who was coming up next and you know how long it was going to be until your next turn, which made it a lot harder to plan you know, an entire combat out. Whereas in the remake, I mean, it's, it's all there in front of you. Um, and you can make much more informed decisions. And the fact that it was kind of a guide game before it really needed help getting from place to place, having destination markers kind of helps that even out a little more too. Yeah, the destination markers in the remake aren't perfect. Like sometimes it'll just tell you where you're supposed to go next and not that you need an item to get there, yeah. like, like the minor things like that. But it, but it is overall very helpful and communicates way better than the uh, original version. I, and I usually think of games with with visible, uh, excuse me, a visible progress bars and charge bars that you can time for use in, uh, for use of in interrupts or similar. Yeah. I, I think of that as Grandia combat, even though I'm, I know more, more games than just Grandia do that, but this is a pretty good version of Grandia combat. I found. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and it, you couldn't have really told from the original, um, the, the fact that that feels unique to this version is even though the battle system is more or less the same, it's pretty cool. All right, so uh, Tom, I know that you probably uh, didn't play this in 2004 or earlier like Wes and I did, but uh, um, what's your experience with Live Alive and how have you found the new remake? Uh, yeah, so yeah, definitely uh, didn't play, haven't played the original. In fact, until it was announced at the Direct like earlier this year, I wasn't even aware it was a game. So uh, definitely, like the more I read up about it, the more I was like, oh, I definitely want to give this a go. But when it first, like, popped up i was like oh i've never heard of that but um yeah i really enjoyed it so like of what i played um i think it's also probably one of the first like anthology style games that i've ever played so the whole thing's really been quite a interesting experience yeah i, I haven't done the deep research but uh, this is the only anthology style game i know of of this time um there's i mean i, I there's games like the seventh saga where you choose a main character and that and that affects this that affects the story and gameplay but like in the seventh saga or games with multiple playable characters it, the the story is usually the same this is seven completely unrelated stories that uh i mean individually they would be short and maybe a little bit uh, uh feature light but they're but they are self-contained and their own thing throughout so 
I, I don't know of many other games like that. And, and I should mention, I, I was aware of this game for a while, like when I was getting into Super Famicom emulation, like Live Alive would show up like Seiken Nintendo 3 and Tales of Fantasia and Treasure of the Rudras and uh, even Terra Enigma of, of great Super Nintendo RPGs that uh that did not um make it to north america and i i tried and played almost all of them at the time but um uh, bahamut lagoon's another one uh but this was one that didn't quite take for me but uh the changes in communication and clarity and and the the visual upgrades of the remake were exactly the right opportunity and before we get into the individual stories um I think this is a very beautiful game. The, the, the sprites are expressive. They use uh, the 2.5 D HD 2D style that was uh, that that really uh, knocked people's socks off with Octopath Traveler in I guess 2018 was that year. Uh, I could be off on that. And uh, I think you will. yeah, and and then more recently Triangle Strategy, but uh, it, it doesn't feel quite as crafted as Octopath Traveler. Like this is an HD 2D update and not a standalone HD 2D game. But it, uh, but I still think it looks great. Like it, it's um to use a comparison that many people have used in the past. This is how you remember sixteen bit games of your childhood feeling like, <laughs> well, while I, while actually looking much better than they were. And it's impressive too because this game feels so unique. You know, we'll we'll probably talk about how each of these chapters almost feels like its own genre in some way or another, and that makes this feel modern. So even though it's not technically a brand new HD two D game, it doesn't feel like an SNES game that's made to look prettier. It looks like it belongs in the visual style and the modern era that it, that it exists in. Yeah. I don't think I probably understood every reference uh, made uh, in these seven chapters perfectly, but they all feel like a very specific genre of film or television or video game that, and, and, yeah, and you can definitely uh, see some of the, like the film inspirations in quite a few of them. Yeah, some and, very uh, specific films. Yeah, yeah, some very specific. <laughs> yeah. like, I I can make at least one specific film reference for each of these, I think. And uh, but it but it does help that uh, one of them I think is it feels more like a manga than a than a than a TV show. But I, what we can talk about that when we get to it. Uh, but are, are we ready to, to jump into this into the seven scenarios? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do it. Um, you know what? Well, let's uh, start this off talking positively. Uh, get um, give me your favorite of the seven. And uh, and an abridged version of how it goes, uh, starting with you, Wes. So my favorite's always been Cubes, the distant future chapter. Um, fa favorite back when, favorite now, um, because it's this little sci-fi pastiche playing a little bit with uh, things like Alien, especially, um, where you were just this little circular, adorable robot named Cube um, in this kind of cutoff uh, space station um, spaceship. I don't know. It's one of those two. Um, this is one of the ones I haven't gotten to yet, but the, the comparisons I've heard the most are Alien and 2001 A Space Odyssey. Absolutely, because it kind of transforms from one to the other throughout. And you're just this little helper robot who doesn't really interact much with the world <laughs> around them, but has to kind of solve and figure out the mysteries of what the heck is happening on this ship. While all of this, this cast of humans are going increasingly mad or they're interpersonal relationships are like you know the secrets are coming out and there's all of this drama happening around you and you're just trying to manage and stop everything from getting destroyed as you know unknown terrors start making trouble with your crew yeah what if sigourney weaver was a cute little robot boy with a baseball cap exactly <laughs> 
uh, Tom, I, I, I mentioned this. I, I haven't gotten to this one yet. Um, and I, I will talk. I will bring up the ones I have played versus haven't played as, as we move on this uh, on this episode. But what, what were your impressions of the distant future chapter? Yeah, I, I really liked it. Obviously, it's quite like a like you can see the callback to aliens and stuff like that. But um, I just generally thought like the whole sort of there wasn't much combat and it was more sort of like horror. I guess you could, well, I don't know if you call it horror, but sus- definitely a lot of suspense. Uh, oh, okay, but um, are, are, is there a fail state? Is there a way for uh for Cube to to perish in this story? Because I I I have heard that this is this is a story heavy combat light chapter. Uh, is, but so is there a way to lose or die? From what I played, I don't, I don't think there was. That I may be wrong. I don't really want to go into spoilers. No, 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 we no, no, no. I, oh, don't worry, Tom. You have not podcasted with me much, but I care so little about spoilers more than anyone else I know. So don't worry about that. Okay, so earlier in the game, um, like the crew are in the break room, and there's like a um, an arcade cabinet, and so later, and that is basically the only way to uh, kill the ship's uh, AI in the end. And uh, but I think that's the only the only fight that I came across in the entire chapter. Yeah, you essentially the way that you can lose is if you don't use the arcade earlier to to power up uh cube a bit. Um that final boss can wreck you. <laughs> At least in the original version. I this is the one that I didn't get to uh this go around. Um or at least I'm I'm partway through it now. <laughs> and I'm I'm not entirely sure but I know um when the part where the uh, the monster breaks loose, I didn't get caught by it, but I'd imagine if you do get caught by it, that might cause a fail state. I don't know. Yeah, but for the most part, it, it wants to be like a almost a horror visual novel in some ways, which is one of the most interesting things about it. That's why I love it so much, is that it's totally different from the rest of them, uh, which can be said about quite a few of them. But this one in particular, not leaning on the combat, is a daring thing for a Super Nintendo RPG. Well, okay. I'm I'm very intrigued by this. I I think I knew that the final boss was the ship AI. Some some because I I remember there was some kind of HAL comparison I read to I read about, but otherwise there's not much combat in this chapter at all. I'm looking forward to getting to it very soon. Maybe even later today. Uh, we'll see. But I have to ask: Is the uh, final boss at the end? Does he have some kind of Odo or Odie name? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. As it uh, should be. It becomes very clear to the player as you play through Live Alive that an ODO or ODI uh, name is is always the name of the final boss of the of the of the chapter, and uh, and the, the exactly the identity of the boss is what can be wildly different. Whether it's a uh, it, it's a it's a dark god in in near future, a dinosaur in prehistory, and a uh, a, a very rude man in present day, but we'll we'll get to all of those one by one. Um. But uh, uh, Wes, you mentioned that Distant Future was your favorite scenario. Uh, Tom, what was your favorite scenario that you played, or if it was Distant Future and and instead of repeating, uh, was your second favorite? Uh, so no, my favorite was probably uh, the Twilight of uh, Edo Japan, and basically the premise of this one is that there's a sort of, I guess you could say, a civil war starting across Japan, and uh, you're like a shinobi, and you're basically tasked with um, saving a prisoner from like an enemy, like I guess you could say, temple. Um, I think what really stood out to me with this one was like, obviously everyone likes to be a ninja, but um, it's more just, it was like really, I think probably like the most stunning one of all of them, I would say. Like you could really tell like they went to town here, you know, like I think um, one thing that I really liked was um, you could 
run into like I assume it was an optional boss, but it was like this giant koi fish, and it was just like beautiful sprite work. So yeah, so you uh you come across like the uh the prisoner, and you have to sort of with him make your way to the um sort of I guess you could say like the the general, and uh, you take him on, and all this time you're sort of like who is this prisoner? You don't really know who he is, and that is that is revealed at the end. He's um he's actually British, which is quite interesting. <laughs> but um yeah, in general, I thought it was definitely my favorite chapter. Right. Well, this is remarkably another chapter that I haven't gotten to yet <laughs> of the one of the uh, uh, I guess two of the three that I haven't played. So maybe I'm gonna have a new favorite in uh, the next forty eight hours or so. But the. Uh, like from what I can gather, this definitely is an homage to ninja action movies and dramatic samurai movies. Um, your, uh, you know, m- maybe the a fil- like the films of Akira Kurosawa or like the Zatoichi blind samurai film, something like that. You know, like like a silhouette of a ninja running across a a a, a like a bamboo forest kind of kind of deal. But yeah, uh, yeah, the other thing that I know of this chapter is it being because you're just a single person infiltrating a castle and then accomplishing your mission, there's like a lot of exploration and sort of non-linear progress to make. Because it's it's like finding, it's a, a slightly Metroidvania-ish, like, like yeah. find a key in one place to open a door in another place. Um, and, uh, you know, just sort of um, non-linear progress like that. But also, uh, and both Tom and Wes, I want to hear from you on this. I, I understand there's a way to uh, go through this with a hundred percent stealth and not kill anyone except for some unavoidable bosses is that right yeah from from what i could tell there was i mean i tried to play pacifist up to a point and then i got to this one door and i just couldn't figure out how to get past it without killing the guards so at that point i i sort of gave up but i think um what's quite interesting there is then you start to rack up like a a kill count so you can see how many enemies you've killed which doesn't happen in any of the other chapters yeah, it's it's really interesting. This this might be the most gameplay focused chapter because most of your decisions are stuff like that. Do I kill this person? Do I spare them? And if you do the one hundred percent pacifist run, it's hard. Like, good luck doing it without a guide because there are so many things that like you have to be on time, on target. You have to keep track of the passwords. You have to you have to do all of this special stuff to make sure that you don't kill anyone but the essential required bosses. And then those bosses are going to be real hard because guess what? You haven't leveled up. Yeah. Um, I was, I was concerned about that because there, like there is to a degree an experience grind in the, uh, in the four chapters I have played. Yes. Which is, which again, don't include uh, twilight of Edo or distant future, which are, you know, the ones where you don't have as much combat potentially. So there are rewards for both no kills and all kills, which is also difficult because you have to kill, everyone not just enemies um you basically have to leave it in as a, as a ghost town which i could not do in a game i couldn't bring myself to do that um but uh if you do it with you know an absolute pacifist run you get a really powerful sword at the end of the chapter um the only thing that really matches it up is in the final chapter you can get uh, you know another hidden weapon that's you know roughly analogous to it um and that's kind of the big reason to run pacifist besides just it's a challenge and it seems fun. Um, I, I did a little bit of both. Um, I, I didn't go out of my way to get combat, but I also didn't want the last boss to be hard. So I definitely um, took down anyone who was looking for a fight. Now, uh, Wes and Tom and listeners, if you know me, you know that I am not a stealthy person, even a little bit, whether I'm playing games or existing in the real world. So I, uh, 
I, I probably won't go for a stealth run on Twilight of Edo Japan just because I am so miserable and get easily frustrated at stealth mechanics in games. Um, I, I probably won't go for the 100 run either because that that sounds like I mean the challenge instead becomes it, oh, well, instead of uh, instead of avoiding every enemy, the challenge becomes finding every enemy, and that's a and that you know that that might be annoying too. So yeah, there's but, some but, missable but, enemies up in there if oh, you try to oh, go. Oh, good. I think there's also some enemies that that may make it even harder to go past this. There's this particular one called the uh, the Relentless Maid. I don't know if oh, you yeah. have to kill her, but but I did. And uh, basically, for a, I don't know if she follows you for the rest of the game, but like, well, she doesn't follow you for the rest. But there's a period of time where every time you go for a new door, she's there, and again and again and again. So uh, that basically makes it impossible at that. Wow, point that, that, to, that, that's uh, to keep the kills. That's low. a little bit too Majima everywhere for my for my liking. Yeah, Majima mm. absolutely everywhere. <laughs> Oh boy, uh, but I, uh, you know, I I have seen images from this stage before, and it, it also I think the, uh, the 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 castle is pretty gorgeous looking in this uh, in this scenario. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah, and from what I've been told, like I guess like maybe Wes, you can comment on this. It was also considered to be the most impressive in the original game. Yeah, because trying to do something like a stealth game on the Super Nintendo is difficult enough, much less this big interconnected map that. You know, to to your point, Mike, it's it's very Metroidvania. You have to unlock things in one portion to get to another portion to make your way up through. Um, and having that as a piece, like an anthology piece within eight other anthology pieces of this RPG um, is absolutely mind-blowing to see on the Super Nintendo. And you've still got these gorgeous, like, camera shifts where you run across the, the roof and you'll, like, see the side view and just this beautiful imagery of, like, you know, the moon and the sakura blossoms in front of them and you in front of the the sakura blossoms are just gorgeous things to see on the super nintendo even yeah i mean just the uh i mean this taking place in edo japan which i guess is i guess is tokugawa era so around um the 1600s through the 1800s like the like a beautiful castle or temple of that era in a dark and stormy night while you're a solo ninja um, sneaking through the castle or or cutting your way through the castle as it were it's 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 a cool look and there are so many movies about ninja or samurai or the shinsen gumi which are you know sort of like specialized spies of that era like they, that's a very specific mood and i and i should mention i looked up the manga writers for each of these seven character designs and the only one whose work i really recognized as carrying through the to the present day was the writer of the edo japan chapter uh, it, it's the guy who wrote um, Detective Conan, or uh, or Case Closed, sometimes is, it's called uh, in North America. So, yeah, the, these were all popular mangaka of the time, but um, the only one that I, that really rang a bell for me was the author of the Edo Japan chapter. But uh, again, I have not gotten to this one yet. It may happen soon, but I'm going to do it as a change of pace. Talk about a chapter that I actually have finished. <laughs> uh, I, I think my favorite chapter of the four that I've played was the first one I did which is Imperial China. Ooh, um, that's a good one. Yeah, it's it's yeah, I enjoyed that. It, it's really good. It's uh, you, uh, the main character is something that's a little uncommon in RPGs. It's an elderly man um, who's a, a sort of a very round shaped, uh, cheerful guy in Imperial China who's a, uh, the, the master of the Earth Fist or the, the Shifu of the Earth Fist. Shifu is like a, you know, a term meaning uh, meaning master, sort of like sensei. So uh is so your the shifu is, is uh he's his health is starting to fail and he's uh gotten on in years 
So he's, he's decided he needs to take on a disciple for the first time. And it even starts with him trying to break a rock in half and being unable to do so, realizing that his, you know, his, uh, his strength is leaving him. So the first part of the chapter is uh, traveling around the area. There's sort of two small villages near the mountain where he lives and a bamboo forest leading to a, uh, leading to a temple. And he meets three young people that could be his disciples. Um, uh, oh boy, I, I, I'm going to have a, a hell of a time remembering all of their names. Uh, there is the bandit woman, Lei Kugo, in the bamboo forest, taking people's money. Uh, and she challenges Shifu, but after he defeats her, like he basically tell her, tells her, you do not lack in spirit, but you, uh, your technique lacks refinement. So she says, all right, fine, train me, and I'll use the whatever you teach me to beat your ass, which is a, uh, an attitude that endeared her to me immediately, of course. Um, but, but then in the two villages... Uh, you he meets his, the other two disciples. There's Hong, who is a large, heavy-set guy who's unusually agile for being so big, but is also uh, ravenously hungry, and he, he's caught stealing noodles from a local restaurant. And uh, and Shifu tells him that he'll he'll uh, if if Hong trains under him, he'll teach him discipline and strength, and also give him all the food he wants to eat, which which you know uh, endears Hong immediately to <laughs> to him. And in the in the last village. There's uh, the young boy, Yun, who's younger than Lei Go or Hong. Uh, he uh, has a bandana around his head, so he kind of looks like... Uh, he he kind of looks like Ryo from Suikoden 2. Yeah, he's got some real main character energy on, on Yeah, him. well, he, he looks kind of like the main characters of Suikoden 1 and 2, now that I think about it. And the, I guess the, band, uh, the bandana is more Suikoden 1. But he has some young boy, I want to get stronger to be the main character energy, uh, for sure. And uh, and um, uh, Yun is is annoyed that um, bandits are bullying the elderly people in his town, including his grandma. So he wants to be to grow up to be a strong man. And uh, and he, unlike the other two, he actually asks Shifu directly to be his disciple, which Shifu accepts. So after you uh, explore the area around you a little bit, uh, Shifu takes the three disciples to his mountain area, and there's sort of a montage of Shifu uh, training them by challenging them to fights one on one. And having them gain experience, Shifu's level is frozen at ten. He can't he can't gain any more experience. But uh, every time you train one of your disciples or get into a random battle with the disciples at your side, they do gain experience. And um, uh, and and they're very different. They start out with different moves. Uh, Yun has balanced stats. Hong has high attack and HP, but low uh, but very low speed. And uh, Lei Kugo has very high speed. But sort of average, um, uh, but I think lower defense and and uh, and average attack and HP. So they uh, and and they have di- different starting moves as well. Like Hong's moves are all about food. Like he has like 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 fire breathing after eating a hot pepper and so on. Uh, while uh, and, while Lake Hugo has has sort of more agile area type moves. But uh, and I don't think Yoon starts with any unique moves of his own. But uh, you, you train them and you can level them, sort of level up your disciples and give them bonuses to their stats. But at at a certain point, the bandits that you've encountered a couple times uh, attack your school while Shifu is away, and tragically, two of your disciples die. Uh, and that your surviving disciple is the one that you've gained that's gained the most experience, or is, is, I think is at the highest level, uh, where you um, at, at the point where they attack. And uh, and I and so like if you're if you're optimizing, you probably want to put give all of the training that you can to just one disciple and have that one be the be the inheritor of the earth of the of earth style. But uh, I I didn't quite do that, or I, I should say it's earth and heart style. I didn't quite do that. I sort of spread it experience equally 
to all of them, but uh, for the last round of training where they all gave bonuses to attack, I gave all of that training to Lei Kugo. So she be so she became my yeah. Uh, yeah yeah she became my chosen disciple at the end, and then uh, Shifu and whoever the surviving disciple is uh, challenges the temple dungeon at the opposite end of the forest to defeat the evil martial arts sect. And I have to say, everything from the character interactions to how fun and different the disciples are to the, uh, the, the the setting and the beautiful, relaxing music to the uh, the arc of one of your disciples going from someone misunderstood or weak to quite strong, um, uh, d- defeating the evil martial arts master at the end, whose name is, oh boy, I have to look this up. It's, uh, yeah, O.D. Wan Lee, that's him. Uh, d- defeating O.D. Wan Lee at the end oh, of the okay. chapter to uh it, it and, and again it's it's definitely based off of like wuja martial art stories and classic um classic like kung fu movies of the of the 70s or even earlier uh like uh, you know 36 chambers of shaolin kind of vibes i just absolutely loved it um i really like lake hugo i hope um i i know i'll be able to use her later in the game but in the final chapter and she's definitely going to be on the team when that happens or uh, at least i hope she is uh I, I love this chapter. Um, uh, Wes and Tom, what were your thoughts on uh, on the Imperial China story? Yeah, I think um, one of the... You touched on it earlier. The thing I really enjoyed is that so often in RPGs, you know, you're the underdog or you're you're lower level and you've got to use sort of, sort of tactics and skills to overcome enemies. But here, it's the complete opposite and you can't possibly get any stronger. And it's all about sort of choosing who you want to succeed you. I went with uh, Yoon in the end, but... I just thought it was a really sort of quite a unique sort of take on an RPG. Yeah, this is this was going to be my choice, if not distant future. This is a fantastic, fantastic chapter. Um, and being able to like choose who you train and determine your your um, inheritor and who's going to be around the next <laughs> when when you get to the final chapter is fascinating. Um, it's something you don't often see in many JRPGs. I also went with Lei um, because. It's the only possible female prote- protagonist is one reason. That's and right, also yeah. her, her move set is phenomenal. Uh, she's one of the, the, the strongest candidates. Yuan takes a little bit of love, uh, but he can get pretty, pretty excellent too. Um, and I went full min maxing. Like I gave her everything <laughs> um, because it's interesting. Same for yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think I gave probably half of the agility and defense training to lay and then all of the strength training. So she, she got, um, let's say two thirds of all the available exp there <laughs> yeah and that's also um similar to another chapter we'll talk about where you can learn some some skills if you hit uh the characters that you train um with skills from uh the shifu um each time you train they can learn one of the skills you used on them so i went very hard to make sure that they got almost everything that shifu had to offer <laughs> That um, goes into one of the other uh, scenarios that I that I did. Let's let's move on to that one right now. Yeah. This is this is a game or a game. This story resembles both a tournament fighting game like Street Fighter Two or a uh, an action movie of a certain stripe, kind of like you know Bloodsport starring Jean Claude Van Damme, and also kind of reminds me of like uh, juvenile delinquent battle manga like like Crows <laughs> or Worst. Or uh, or the or or the Hirakawa Clover, which are some a, a very specific genre that I like a lot. But uh, the present day chapter is you're a juvenile delinquent boy that enters a uh, martial arts tournament. But his special ability is that every time, uh, and, and and again the enemies that you fight are martial arts stereotypes. Like there's a uh, uh, there's 
a um there's a kung fu master and a muay thai fighter and a professional wrestler and and so on literally hulk hogan yeah exactly <laughs> but but um he can learn the attacks of the enemies if they use them on him i think the learn rate is close to 100% i don't i i think i only noticed him not learning a move once so you you don't have you don't have to quite grind or farm for techniques but uh but yeah this is the blue mage of the game like if he takes damage from special moves he can learn those special moves and that's how you sort of get him progressively stronger cuz i don't think there there's there, there's no fighting and very little story other than just finding the next fight in the present day chapter yeah you you yeah, get a character think... select screen and everything <laughs> <laughs> i think in that respect i was almost a, a little disappointed like there was so little story you know it was just all just, and it was over so quickly i think i mean i think it only took me like half hour 40 minutes to complete the whole chapter it, it's definitely the shortest of the four that i played i think it was yeah. it was probably a half hour and i'm glad it, i'm glad it wasn't the first one i did uh in fact this is the most recent one i did this is i guess fourth out of four uh because the the uh i don't think the fights here are over challenging but it helped that I was comfortable with the battle system by now. Um, yeah. it, because if I if this was the first one I chose and I was thrown right into this battle system without really knowing how positioning works or how turns or interrupt works or how uh, damage tiles work, I would have had a worse time. But but by then, I had I had done a super boss and uh, leveled up a bunch of characters. So I, had, I, I, I knew how the gist of the game went by now, which which was helpful. But and and I and I kind of like the the structure of this one only because i i'm on the record of uh on loving fighting games and blood sport starring jean-claude van damme <laughs> and, and 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 some of the genre inspirations here uh but i, I again i i it was the probably the story lightest chapter and yeah. uh, i i wouldn't have minded if they had gone a little deeper here uh, the the only part that can make you um need to put much effort into it is if you really want to learn all of the skills because each character has two skills for you to learn and the sumo wrestler has a hidden third skill and goading out um, those skills can require playing the same battle a few times. But um, honestly, if you're not going to use the character in the last chapter, you know, get one or two that are useful for the final boss of this chapter and you're good. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wasn't really thinking about using this guy, but mostly because I, I liked the three main characters of the previous three more. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I was... Uh, and I didn't even know there was two, each one had two. I think I, I think I like after I learned one skill from each opponent, I just worked to defeat them. Is uh, yeah, is how I approached it. A lot of this is stuff you just won't know unless you've played it before, or looked it up, or something. Um, which is one of the interesting parts about Live Alive. It's got some replay value for the fact that you cannot see a lot of the game. <laughs> I did look up some details uh, for uh, twice when I was playing this, and both of them were for item reasons because. Um, We'll get to them next. Why not? Uh, the uh, in the prehistory chapter, there's a crafting system, and yes. in the near future chapter, there's an item upgrading system. And I looked up charts and how tos for both of those things, so I could get good items. But I otherwise, I didn't really check a guide. And uh, um, and and they do give you a window explainer on how Masaru can learn um can learn skills in, for the present day chapter. So that was that that was enough for me. I just tried to learn one skill from every boss. And the final boss of this is has uh one of the most extra names that I've ever seen in an RPG. And I, 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 I love ridiculous RPG names. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, Odie O'Bright is pretty, pretty out there. I it's don't, great. I don't know. 
it like I love it and hate it at the same time. It depends on like how much you play when you start to recognize that the OD uh, whatever is really standing out like, oh, this is in every single one. And you start to question it a little bit and you start to see like purple mist every once in a while and trying to figure out what that means. Um, maybe the least, uh, maybe the strangest in um, uh, the Wild West chapter, but we'll get there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we have uh, three left to talk about. Wild West, Prehistory, and Near Future. Uh, uh, let's just take turns picking them one by one. Um, uh, uh, Tom, which of those do you feel like t- going over now? I'll go over the Prehistory one. Not because I wouldn't say I particularly enjoyed this chapter. It was When I loaded up the game, I was like, I'm a little bit OCD. So I was like, right, I'm going to play this in chronological order. So I picked, started with this one. And I think it's maybe quite a difficult one to start on. There's obviously no dialogue. And I was a little bit found like getting around, maybe even though they did have the markers, sometimes the marker would just disappear. And that got a bit confusing. I was just a bit like almost frustrated, you know, like these guys, they had cars, but they can't talk. Well, okay. I I, I think the cars might've been Flintstones cars. That, yeah, are, yeah, that are that are that are <laughs> true <laughs> so, so this this is picking and choosing levels of technology and sophistication from the flintstones and 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 does not resemble the honeymooners quite as much now, listeners for those of you that don't know the, the flintstones is almost a cartoon ripoff of the classic sitcom the honeymooners but anyway uh, please continue yeah i mean basically it's i guess you could say a very sort of primitive like love story i guess he, mm-hmm. he falls in love with a, a a cave woman and uh she sort of gets taken from him by this gang in their Flintstone cars. <laughs> and uh, he sets off to, to find her. But um, yeah, I I didn't, I wouldn't say I disliked it because I enjoyed all the chapters, but I do think this is, is probably my least favorite. And maybe had I played a different chapter first, I'd have a different opinion. But I think starting off on this one was maybe not the best choice. That was the number one problem that I had the last go around that I tried to get people introduced into this game before the the remake was announced was so many of them did the same thing. They wanted to go in chronological order. And this is a terrible chapter to start with. It ends up being interesting and unique after you've played a couple of more like traditional, you know, chapters that have the story presented via text like an RPG. Um, And this can seem like a cool little, you know, mix up to the formula. But when you play it first man it's obtuse like figuring out what to do and where to go and like how to figure out this crafting system um none of it is obvious from the get-go <laughs> yeah um like you you can um get materials from monsters uh like you know fangs or horns or uh or or skins and then and then you can exchange them to the crafter by giving him two and it'll give you um, most of the best equipment available is just you can get right at the beginning. There's a mini game that even gives you like six random crafting items as a reward. And and the, the mini game is even weird because they, they communicate it with images like uh, a bunch of cavemen will go into haystacks and the cavemen in the middle will sometimes ask for which one has more, sometimes ask for which one has less. It's like, like figuring out the communication in this game because they're only communicating with grunts and images can be weird but i uh, but also uh, pogo the little cave boy that's the main character has a has a pretty good sniffer on him and uh <laughs> like uh when you smell flowers that's probably either the cave woman his cave woman girlfriend or an actual flower or there, there's a lot of there's a lot of scatological humor in this chapter as well because like, both yeah, both is. pogo and his gorilla buddy have pooping or farting special abilities 
and there's um there's a number of uh you know of of uh of poop fart jokes to be found or or bathroom humor in in other chapters as well the uh i think maybe the writers of this game were were you know just uh regressing into their 11 year old selves at, at times when they were when they were writing jokes but um there is something charming about an rpg that's on, that's only grunts and emotions and no real dialogue but uh it was way under easier to understand now than it was for me to understand whenever that happened uh, 18 years ago probably yeah and i imagine like at least with this one like you had the marker that quite often told you where to go whereas in when the original obviously that wasn't there or from what i understand it wasn't so i think it must have been even more obtuse you know yeah and this, this is also way longer than the other three chapters i tried uh and i when i was checking for crafting materials they even they uh one of the guides mentioned that there was a super boss and i decided oh you know what this is the third chapter i've worked on i'll uh, I'll, I'll go for the super boss and it's it's towards the end um and it's a, a giant woolly mammoth that can that deals a lot of damage and can heal itself and can cover the entire field in fire I don't know if you uh, if you took on the the King Mammoth Tom or Wes, but uh, you know it was the only time I really felt challenged this entire game so far. But uh, it gave me an accessory that is plus twenty two attack, so you know worth it in the end. Yeah, you can take that with you to the final chapter and feel pretty good. <laughs> I have no qualms at all. It's like, why not? Welcome to the team, Pogo. Yeah, I think I think maybe like if I was to replay the game, I would seek out stuff like the optional bosses because I think not knowing what was going to happen in the game had i known that when you get to the end like all your stuff would sort of carry over i'd have been more like enticed to do these things whereas i was sort of i didn't know what happened in the final chapter so i was just sort of under the impression of like all right well we'll move on from this one and like nothing carries over so had i known then i think i'd have spent a lot more time sort of seeking out those like super bosses um and i i should mention uh i i think in general they intend for you to level up to around 10 uh in these chapters but but it yeah. for, for fighting this super boss i think i leveled pogo up to 12 then fought the super boss and gained another level from the super boss so pogo's 13 while my other uh three characters are level 10 or 11 so he's uh he's considerably higher level than everyone else i'll i'm probably gonna take him through the final chapter yeah he's a good choice for the final chapter he's a beefy boy <laughs> yeah i mean even though i didn't particularly like that this chapter i did i did uh take him in the final chapter i was i was really amused with some of the visual choices here because uh, uh, pogo and his and gory his gorilla friend they beat each other mercilessly they're a little bit they're uh they're they're savage and violent like they, they wake each other up by punching or, or hurling each other and uh, I, I mentioned the there's some poop humor in this chapter also there's a uh um, the, the caveman that keeps trying to kidnap the uh, the cavewoman away from Pogo, he's wearing a loincloth. But when you if you observe him in battle, the loincloth is actually a gecko that's just attached to his to his waist. <laughs> and one of his attacks is he rips off the loincloth, or he rips off the lizard from his uh, bathing suit area and throws it at you. <laughs> so the but the character design of a long haired caveman whose only clothing is a lizard wrapped around his torso <laughs> i thought was i thought was pretty amusing uh and and also to get weird about voice actors for a second i i immediately recognize that the voice of the cave boy pogo is megumi ogata who's uh luffy in one piece and krillin in dragon ball so i i of, of course i i the only time i recognized a voice actor in this game was him <laughs> was him or or her because uh, megumi ogata is a woman but 
Uh, but yeah, this is a, a longer chapter. There was more grinding than the others. You, um, I, I, I'm not sure we mentioned it, but the the cave woman, I forget her name. It's, I, I think, I think it's Baru or maybe Barry. Uh, she's uh, Nick Baru. Yeah, Baru. Let's let's say Baru. Um, she's about to be sacrificed to a dinosaur, which is why she escapes and Pogo decides to rescue her. And then the the cavemen from the uh, uh, from Lizard Boy's tribe are trying to get her back to use her as a sacrifice. And in the end, Pogo, Gori, Beru, and uh, and Lizard Boy uh, fight the di- fight the dinosaur yourself, and uh, and and save the day, and and peace is restored to the to these different tribes. Uh, and uh, but it's also sort of cute how the <laughs> kind of sultry Beru like like is is kissing Pogo on the cheek. It's like like okay, I guess I guess they just do it differently back in prehistoric times. But uh, ultimately, it was amusing. But I agree, it's a it's a poor choice for a uh, for a first chapter. Because it's just a lot to deal with at once, and uh, and and is, and is not not as fun or dramatic as other chapters that have real dialogue. I will say that uh, <laughs> you kind of jogged my memory there, but the the way that the parties work, like being able to have Beru and Gori and whatnot in your party, um, is pretty interesting. Because most of your party members, um, it's only the main character of each chapter who really matters later in the game, but you still get anywhere from like one to four characters there's an optional robot version of your main character that you can get in edo japan there are people who come and go the way that your party works throughout these seven chapters is pretty unique like most rpgs wouldn't be willing to like give you someone and then just yank them away for the rest of the game but since it's only like a couple of hours worth of gameplay for any given one of these they're a lot more flexible with when they give you and take away characters Oh, uh, can we talk about my favorite side characters of the game in the in the next in the other chapter that I played? Yes, please. Uh, in in near future, a chapter that is clearly influenced by uh, by tokusatsu film and television, because you know, it is about a, a boy with psychic powers and uh, huge spiky hair, a Bosuzoku uh, motorcycle riding punk. That's to the that's uh, the, the boy's name is uh, is Akira. Is a, that's sort of Akira's uh, big brother figure and mentor. And a uh, and it's and eventually uh, teaming up with a mad scientist and piloting a giant robot at the end. Early in this story, your little sister's pet turtle is injured or dying, and you take the turtle to the mad scientist. And the scientist's solution is to liquefy the turtle and put him inside a turtle robot. <laughs> and this goofy-looking turtle robot is oh, your is your best bud. The rest of <laughs> the rest of the chapter and this chapter is bonkers like you live in an orphanage you are alternately very kind and somewhat bullying to the orphan children your sister's there too and she's uh she's sickly uh but you also can uh in in a moment that reminded me of golden sun a little bit you can read the minds of anyone in this uh in this chapter so you have the option to press a to uh to engage in dialogue with an npc or press y to read their mind and sometimes you like to figure out where you go next. You have to read the mind of someone to, to get to get a clue. But uh, you also can give any item in the game to the mad scientist and he'll try to upgrade it to a better item. And that can give you like equipment for your turtle robot buddy or equipment for you or powerful healing items. Uh, you can also uh, work at a Taiyaki stand. Taiyaki is a uh, is fish flavored bread. <laughs> That's a popular snack in Japan. And at the Taiyaki stand, you'll uh, you can gain money to gain more items and then try to upgrade those with the mad scientist. So it's, it, it's, it's a weird, like brief business sim and tokusatsu story where you eventually, uh, infiltrate an evil base and uh, defeat a robot. That is the deceased. That is 
that is power powered by the liquefied remains of the of the father of one of the children of the orphanage which is that was quite messed which, up. which was a dark twist I, I didn't really see coming and uh um and, and realize that uh, a combination of uh of a rogue general of the japanese military and a a different mad scientist from your friendly mad scientist uh and a local cult leader are trying to combine the technology and and resources and uh and supernatural powers of that they each possess to revive an ancient god that resembles like a it resembles like an ancient um a Japanese Aharabata stat- statue mixed with a parrot, or uh, you know what I mean, an, an Aharabaki statue mixed with a parrot. So it's like 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 an old Japanese idol, except a giant bird. And you end up piloting the scientist's giant robot king guy, which is essentially <laughs> Tetsujin twenty eight, like straight up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's a little bit of um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, a little bit of like Astro Boy, a little bit of Battle of the Planets, a little bit of a, a lot of Akira, um, a little bit Common Rider in this uh in in this story, um, th- that eventually is a giant robot battle against this evil bird god. That is totally bonkers, and you're also selling fish bread at a taiyaki stand. And there's orphans. Um, you realize that your big brother uh, figure that eventually accidentally kills himself by overdosing on mind-altering drugs. <laughs> um, but just before he dies, he confesses that he's the person that killed your father, who was a police officer many years ago, and left you an orphan. It's <laughs> big revelations. It's, it's a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, uh, other than maybe the evil martial artists uh killing two of your disciples in the imperial china i, I think this was these had the most uh, this chapter had the most intense twists in the series uh so far although i I, sh- I should mention i haven't played um wild west distant future or or twilight of Edo. so uh but yeah near future was pretty crazy start to finish it's a roller coaster ride for sure <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it was probably like the uh the best story of all of their different anthologies. Yeah, and honestly, being able to read minds allowed you to get so much deeper into it. And like a lot of those big story revelations from uh, from your your friend Lawless there, um, where he tells you all about you know what he did to your father, um, come from reading his mind, and he just knows you're reading his mind and tells you there because he doesn't have the energy to verbalize anything. Yeah, and, and that the, keeps on, he's on he's on his deathbed when that happens, right? Yeah, exactly. This happens with, you know, half of the revelations in the game just come from you mind reading. And to give a little bit of a sneak peek into the last chapter, um, you could pick your main character and you'll get their field ability for uh, for that last chapter. So you can go around and read the minds of everyone in the last chapter, um, or you'll just never see it because you didn't pick Akira as your main character. And that is absolutely bonkers to me, the amount of like extra writing and extra effort that goes into an ability like that. <laughs> In, in one chapter oh that's fun i might, I might have to pick, take him along then i was already thinking about taking him along because you, you you get to pick four characters right yes uh, we, we i haven't met all of them yet but i should say i am pretty attached to akira leikugo and pogo and less attached to masaru so yeah. I, I i might already have 75 percent of my final <laughs> team already but we'll, but we'll see how the rest of the chapters play out <laughs> yeah i uh i think i know who i'm going with for the final chapter this go around but we'll see no, um, let's share that now. Uh, 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 Wes, who do you think your four are right now where your head is at? So my main character most likely is the one we haven't talked about, uh, the sundown kid. 
uh, from the Wild West chapter. Um, All right, we will get into that right after we share our final teams. So go for it. Because <laughs> yeah, he's he's incredibly hard to recruit. So making him your main character is really nice. Plus, he's got all these cool Wild West gun abilities that I'm absolutely in love with. Like the look of a gun of a of a you know spaghetti western gunslinger is like close to my heart. This is this is maybe the easiest character to tell who the, what the cinematic inspiration was of. <laughs> like, Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then um, definitely Lei. Lei is just super powerful. Um, you know, whoever the inheritor is ends up being super powerful because the ability that they get like story-wise at the end of that absolutely blows random encounters out of the water. Cube is fantastic and I can't go anywhere without him. You can actually upgrade him with some of the pieces that you get to upgrade your turtle robot in the near future chapter. So like, oh, okay. If you take off all of the accessories that you've gotten to give him abilities, you can give those abilities to Cube and right, like if, like, like like the stun gun and the and the goldfish launcher and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. God, mm-hmm. the goldfish launcher is so good. Yeah, I I use that once I figured out I could upgrade weapons for uh, the turtle robot. I <laughs> I I, uh, I I did some upgrade grinding a little bit and got him. I think oh shoot, I forget what all of them were called. I think it was the rock launcher and the goldfish launcher. So I had him chucking rocks and fish at the uh, <laughs> at the, at at at, at the mecha boss of that uh, uh, in the facility. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, my final of the four. Uh, Almost has to be Obero, Oberomaru from the Edo period. Right. Okay. Um, because he is, you might not expect this, but the single best elemental caster in the game. Really better um, than Akira. Yeah. Um, because he covers a, a lot more. His abilities are a lot more consistent. Um, Akira's not bad. Like you can kind of take or, or, or leave either one of them. But um, for my money, Oberomaru is, is a crazy good caster, despite being a ninja. But do I get the. Do I get Akira's inventory if I don't recruit him? Uh, you can recruit everyone, um, but you pick. You have to pick four people to come with you. So you can recruit everyone who's equipped and then, you know, strip them of whatever you want before you uh, land on your final party. Okay, okay. And to be honest, I'd, I'd kind of recommend doing that because just um, sort of recruiting them to your party, like, it's, it's quite fun. And also, like, yeah. it just uh, it gains you levels for the, the final boss, which is actually quite difficult. Oh, all right. But anyway, I I, I I still need to meet the Sundown Kid and Oboromaru, uh and Cube for that matter. But I, I already really like uh, Pogo Lake Hugo and uh, and maybe Akira for my final party. But uh, Tom, um, when you when you beat the because you you are uh, already finished. What was your final party for uh, the final boss? Yeah, so I went with uh, Obamaru, and then I also went with Yoon, Sundown, and Pogo. I think uh, I was sort of like trying to get a balance of like you know sort of all sort of aspects i also sort of i struggled a little bit so i did sort of look up not like a guide on how to beat the game but sort of the um the better characters and that was kind of what put me off a kind of using akira because people were like "Ah, he's he's not that great which is a bit unfortunate because he was probably my favorite character in the game but yeah that they're they're the four that i went with um i really liked sundown a lot actually so i think you'll you'll definitely enjoy the uh that chapter yeah it's a standout chapter for sure interesting okay well then uh before before we close shop let's uh talk about sundown's chapter a little bit because uh, i that's the one we haven't really approached yet i mean the guy obviously looks like uh clint eastwood in the uh uh in the man with no name trilogy uh uh fistful of dollars for a few dollars more in the good the bad and the ugly um three of the three of the best uh western movies ever made um but uh uh, west tell us a little bit about the sundown kid yeah it's you know, it's heavily inspired by those in so many ways, including the music. Um, 
and it plays out like a classic, you know, man with no name wandering into a town where there's trouble, solves it, leaves kind of thing where um, the sundown kid has a bounty on his head and is being chased by a, uh, a bounty hunter named Black. Oh, I always call it Black Bart, and I don't know if that's right or not. Black Bart was a real uh, uh, Old West villain. He was a stage, a famous stagecoach robber. So, yeah, and I but, think that's why I keep calling him Black Bart, but it's actually Black something or other. Sure, all right. <laughs> um, but you're being chased by this bounty hunter. Um, and, you know, you have a couple of little standoffs with him before you end up in this town uh, that's besieged by by bandits, you know, every single day. And, of course, as the, the wanderer through towns, despite your bounty, you decide that you're going to help them. And the majority of the, the chapter is you going and exploring the town and picking up anything you can from the houses to make traps so that when this final encounter comes in, you knock out as many of the people as you can before your final fight. Um, so would you gain exp- less experience doing that? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure. Huh. Um, but I know that it's advantageous because like the board, you know, the, the kind of tactical play field that you're on will be literally filled if you don't take out everyone. Uh, yeah, it sounds, sounds like I should uh, invest in some preparation when I, when I when I play that one soon. <laughs> not to mention you get some of the most fun scenes of, of the whole game um, from some of the traps that you can lay. You know, ironically, like uh, that story that you're setting up sounds a little bit like a fistful of dollars and a little bit like the magnificent seven, which ironically were, are both adaptations of samurai movies. Sandro and seven samurai. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Um, Yojimbo and Sam- seven Yojimbo. samurai. Yeah. Yeah. I um, always, I San- always mix Sanjuro, up the names on those. Sanjuro is the sequel to Yojimbo. Yes. But it, but it might be a slightly better movie. Cause I think it's, it's like, it's like 90 minutes instead of three hours. And it's actually kind of funny. I, uh, I, 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 I whatever. Like Yojimbo. I've never seen Sanjuro actually. And I really? should, I've oh, seen Sanjuro's Yojimbo, great. but not Sanjuro. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, Sanjuro is the name of the main character of Yojimbo and Sanjuro, yeah. because whenever they ask his name, he looks over, and in the first one, he sees a mulberry field, and he says, oh, I'm a, I'm, uh, and, and he says, oh, I'm a 30-year-old mulberry field, and and Sanjuro means 30-year-old person or 30-year-old man, um, <laughs> and, and I forget, and I think in the, in, in Sanjuro, it, 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 he does the same introduction, but it's like a lily, or, or in, it's lilies instead of mulberries and he says eh, you know what i'm actually closer to 40 now but uh, whatever like classic toshiro mufune line yeah he, he also plays the best character in seven samurai i, I he of also course. looks exactly like mitsurugi from soul caliber 5 if you're unfamiliar with akira kurosawa's oeuvre but whatever um i've outed myself as a big fan of samurai movies and westerns and that makes me only more eager to finally get to twilight of Edo japan and the wild west scenarios in uh in live alive and i haven't mentioned this yet but i've been mispronouncing the name live alive for a, a solid 20 years maybe closer to 25 years i always there was a lot of debate about that i always social media i always thought it was live alive because it's like you're you're living seven different lives uh so and but instead of live a life they went with live alive for the symmetry of it so i i i, I always thought it was live alive but nope um the japanese developers in the uh, media for this game in 2022 consistently say live alive. So that's what I have to call it now, but I won't like it. Live alive just flows so much easier. Yeah. And it, 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 it makes some logical sense. Like, Oh yeah, there's it's, it's an anthology of seven stories, actually eight, actually nine. If you count the final, the finale and you're living these lives. So live alive. It, 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 it was satisfying to me psychologically, but uh, I'll have to live with the knowledge that I've been wrong for a, a few decades. But, um, <laughs> But I am eager to get to this. Like I, I knew a little bit about it going in. I know that there's some kind of unifying evil force or evil spirit 
that is that that represents the represents the bosses of each of the seven chapters. I know that chapter eight, uh, I know it's uh, oh, what is it? It's it's either Middle Ages or medieval times, and it I know that it explains more. It goes into the backstory of the Odo Od villain is my mm. understanding of it, but I, I don't know the specifics of the chapter. And I did know that you uh that you pick four of the heroes to uh for the final boss but i didn't know you could recruit all seven that's actually nice um uh, so i i'll be less anxious about not getting the inventory of three sevenths of the team uh so that, that that's pretty good but uh i i still have some playing to do and we we have gone over these seven stories i listeners if you haven't played live alive or aren't playing along with us i hope this at least sounds intriguing because unless i'm really misunderstanding uh context clues here i think this is three ringing endorsements of live alive this game yeah. is is yeah. fun and weird and interesting or alternately at least one of those things at, a, at 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 the same time and i'm i'm frankly excited to get to the end yeah i think the the ending makes it e- even better i would say like it wraps it all up really nicely and 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 wes is there i i know that you're a fan of this game uh, is there any reason to go back to the old super famicom version or uh, like, like, is it switch all the way? I, I would advise switch all the way, but the super Famicom version has this interesting little thing where the text boxes are unique per and menus are unique per chapter. It's like you have these old Western looking text boxes in the wild West chapter. Oh, that's you, cute. And, and that's absolutely adorable to look at. It's not enough to replay the entire game in a, in a more, more difficult to get through way. Um, but it, it's it's still a gorgeous game for the Super Nintendo, and it's worth taking a look at, if not necessarily playing all the way through. And, you know, I, I don't think this was in the Super Famicom version, but uh, I actually really like this game's basic menu, because when you go when you press X and go into the menu, it's all the characters in your party standing on a on a platform or a cliff or an empty space, sort of uh, oh, yeah. so, sort of looking to the left. And it's, and it, it's communicated very clearly and just it's just a pretty menu. I like a game with pretty menus. And I love that those little vignettes you see them in like change throughout the course of a chapter a lot of times. Like if you had a new party member, everyone will rearrange or you might even be in a different location. Or yeah, I remember in the prehistoric one, as Beru uh, was leaving or joining the party, like they would all uh, let like Gori and Pogo would be like fighting in the menu or they or all three characters would be laughing or they would all look hungry. It was it's 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 there's a lot of visual. It, 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 first of all, I love a clean menu. I love a uh, I, I love a menu with some personality. And this is all of those things. It's, it's some great menus. <laughs> yeah, it's know. beautiful. <laughs> all right if i'm talking about how, how much i like these uh these menus and instead of uh pu- and and putting off the rest of the discussion maybe it's time to end the podcast uh listeners thank you so much for joining us on this truncated journey through live alive we're going to get into chapter eight and the end game in the next episode and i guarantee with a capital g that i will be finished with the game by then uh so help me so uh we will I, i'm we will be excited to discuss that next week. But uh, what else is happening in the future of Retro Encounter? Um, uh, after we round out September with more Live Alive, we're doing the Autumn of Adventure in October. And I haven't finished any of these games yet, but we're, but over those four weeks of October, we're going to be having individual episodes on Secret of Monkey Island, Broken Age, The Wolf Among Us, and The Quarry. So two games written by Tim Schafer and friends and two games indirectly about werewolves. So, uh, or wolf men of sorts. So, uh, and, and each of them represents sort of a different decade and different chapter of the history of the adventure game, starting with a, a 1991 game, then into then telltale of the two thousands, then broken age with, a. Uh, 
Double Fine returning to adventure games, and then The Quarry, which is a game that came out in 2022, and it is which is another entry in Supermassive's uh, pretty impressive run of, of horror adventures um, start that, that started with Until Dawn several years ago. So we're t- doing a journey through the history of adventure games in October, culminating in a Halloween episode. Uh, and that is all coming in the next few months. But uh, listeners, if you uh, want to comment to us about Live Alive or Adventure Games or Werewolves or Cavemen or whatever, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also visit rpgfan.com's message boards, our Facebook page, our uh, uh, on, our tw- on Twitter and Instagram. We are rpgfancom. And uh, there's also rpgfan Discord, YouTube channel, Twitch channel something going on uh, every day, almost every day of the week on Twitch. So uh, there are many ways to interact with RPG fan uh, in any way you choose, including um, two other podcasts, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and what games you're playing, and Rhythm Encounter every other two weeks about uh, RPG music. And you can um, subscribe to Retro Encounter or those other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, whatever service you choose. Please give us feedback. We love feedback. But our favorite kind of feedback most recently is the RPG Fan Store. We opened up a store that is hosted by tpublic.com, and you can get RPG Fan merch, including shirts, mugs, pins, phone cases, and other things uh, emblazoned with RPG Fan's Emerald Shield logo. Uh, Please if you want to support the website and the podcast, check out the store and maybe order something. Maybe you'll love it. But oh, another thing that we love is positive feedback as individuals and not as a, just a podcast. So let's share with you, the listener, our us, the panel's uh, social media presences, starting with you, Wes. You can find me uh, most easily on Twitter, at Wes Iliff. All right, Tom, your turn. Yeah, just like Wes, you can find me on Twitter at VoicelessTom. And I'm going to make it three for three. You can find me on Twitter also. I am at the Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So let's see. My choices next are, do I want a, a ninja action movie, a classic Western movie, or a, dist- a future space horror movie? All good choices. Yeah, they all sound pretty dope. Yeah. Not going to lie. But uh, I have plenty of time to make that decision. Uh, listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck.